Welcome to the Attention Podcast, hosted by Conrad. This podcast is brought to you by Expose.io, the attention prediction platform. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Today, my guest is Richard Silberstein, or to be more formal, Professor Emeritus Richard Silberstein. Richard is NeuroInsights founder, um, a consumer neuroscience research agency, uh, of which he serves as the board chairman and the head of research. Richard has more than 35 years of cognitive neuroscience research experience that makes him a very interesting person to talk to. So after starting in the physics department, of which he became chairman, he founded the Brain Sciences Institute at the Swinburne University in Australia. He has ordered tons of peer-reviewed papers and contributed to a lot of different areas, including brain activity, signal processing, attention, hey, we like that, creativity, and important for today, memory. So that's what we'll be talking about as we link brain activity while viewing advertising with long-term memory. Um, How do we link these two, attention and memory? What can we learn from this why is science so hard to implement in practice? And we even link schizophrenia to marketing. So let's dive right into this episode with Richard. Well, should I say good morning, good afternoon? It's Richard? good evening here and uh, it's good, <laughs> it's morning good evening. <laughs> yeah, so uh, where does this podcast find you? In Melbourne, Australia, uh, the sort of Melbourne. bottom right hand corner of Australia. The bottom right-hand corner of Australia. Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's nice. I mean, well, at least the the weather is better than here in Amsterdam. Oh, it's much warmer. Um, it's summer. Oh yes, make us all jealous. Make us all jealous. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, first of all, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, jump on um, the podcast uh, uh, with us. I think you are a uh, no, and I'm not. I don't think I know you are um, a strong name uh, in um, in the neuromarketing industry, and uh, I think uh, we'll get to that uh, in a, in a bit. Uh, maybe you can do a small introduction of yourself uh, and um, touch base how you got where you are now uh, in terms of what you're doing. Okay, very very briefly. A, a strange background. My original degree is in physics with a main interest in theoretical physics. Then I became interested in the brain and consciousness. So I ended up doing a, a PhD in neuroscience, which is how I, how I got there. Um, and I became interested in the phenomenon of resonance. In other words, when you have oscillating systems, um, if they oscillate near the same frequency, they can interact with each other. In, in physics, you see this quite often. And I got interested in that also, and I became interested in looking at the brain's response to a particular kind of visual stimulus, a flicker, a continuous 13 hertz flicker. And that enabled us to measure the speed of processing in different parts of the brain, and that, made, that was fascinating. Originally, I was looking at, can we use this to measure anesthetic depth? In other words, whether people are unconscious because of anesthesia, you might say, Okay. Why do you need to do that? Well, the reason you need to do that is for surgery sometimes, the, the, uh, the anaesthetist gives a muscle relaxing agent which paralyzes all your muscles. Um, yeah. And they also give you a drug which puts you to sleep, the hypnotic, etc. Now, what can sometimes happen, fortunately, really, is you wake up from the anaesthetic, but you're still totally paralyzed. And you can feel everything the surgeon is doing. 
It's the oh. sort of stuff of nightmares. <laughs> um, so originally I was looking at can you use the brain's response to this visual flicker to see whether people are awake or not. And essentially that led me to see that you can use it to actually study thinking and cognition and how different ah. parts of the brain speed up and slow down. So I ended up uh, doing mainly developing technology and then using it in more medicine, particularly initially schizophrenia and then attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is the area I've mm -hmm. published most in. And then I thought, wait a minute, how am I going to support my research? Um, and I thought, well, maybe this is an easy opportunity, advertising. <laughs> um, <laughs> From schizophrenia to advertising, I like it. I think there's a sort of a relationship there in some ways. <laughs> I think so too. ADHD, schizophrenia, I reckon that's, that's not bad. Actually. Advertising. <laughs> that's an interesting one. So then what you did, you jumped into the neuromarketing. Well, but my main goal... Um, was, as I said, to fund my research laboratory. I'd established yeah. the Brain Sciences Institute at my university, Swinburne University, and given that we could measure certain things, I thought this could be interesting in the advertising industry, yeah. thinking that it would be just so simple. I would say, guess what? We can measure the brain. Everybody would throw money at us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, needless to say, nothing like that happened. Um, <laughs> But uh, I set up the company initially with the university and the first attempt didn't work, but then we started again. This time um, I was running things. And uh, so now we're sort of running with um, the main office in Melbourne, Australia, with uh, another office in New York and one in, uh, in London. Um, yeah. So, But I'm still doing some publishing, some medical stuff, and I've recently published a, paper, a few papers on creativity as well. So I, I keep a foot in, in both camps. But uh, it's a fascinating area, and it's one of those unusual things where some of the findings in advertising research actually shed light on neuroscience processes as well. Maybe we can talk about that later, but oh, it's sort of, it sort of kept me uh, quite fa fascinated with this area. So you've been in the industry, I think uh, we had uh, Alice Smits uh, uh, on the podcast uh, a while back. Uh, I think you were right there with him at the beginning. So yep. it's, I think it's, uh, you're, I think together with him, a bit the, the founding fathers of the, of the industry. It's, I think it's the Waldorf and Stettler. You have these two older guys uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the Sesame Street. Was it Sesame Street? No, it's the what's the other show? Uh, I forgot which show it was. But uh, and so you have a you have a nice bird's eye perspective. Um, uh, so you have these two different. Yeah, I would call it. It's not roles, but you have these two different perspectives. One is you know you're fairly firmly rooted in science. It sounds a bit like the Ferrari founder who basically said, I just sell cars so I can have the racing team. Uh, I can it's, understand it's, that. It's <laughs> yeah, it's a bit comparable. Yeah. Um, and you were involved with uh, also helping out the uh, neuromarketing uh, um, uh, business, uh, uh, Science and Business Association, uh, I think, uh, a while back. Yeah, I was, um, the, uh, I was the founding uh, chairman of the uh, ah. advisory board. Uh, I was there and, uh, for about there six go. years. Well, that's a long, long time, at least. Uh, yeah, I, I heard we're going to have next year again a, an event. So that's uh, or this year again at the end of the year, I think an event. Yeah, uh, if yeah. things are all going well, that's nice. Um, you probably know that we've um, 
we both work in this industry mm-hmm. and uh, we've uh, had, uh, uh, I think uh, in, in, in some areas we look at the same subjects. One of the subjects that we look at very much is, is attention mm-hmm. and uh, we're trying to sort of uh, use this podcast to talk to people and, and, and get a bit of understanding of their 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 perspective uh, of, of, um, yeah. of attention. Now we've looked at visual attention. We looked at, uh, you know, what do we see happening with commercials on average uh, with attention. We also looked a little bit deeper in how does it sort of work. Um, you know, when does your brain give attention to something, yes or no? What we didn't really cover was talking about th- things like, like memory. I think mm-hmm. it's uh, very much also an, an area of your expertise. Can you tell us a little bit about how these two sort of interact or how they how they work together? Yeah, yeah. I mean, let me start off with the issue of attention. It's a it's a very hot topic. You know, one of the hottest topics is the attention economy, you know. Yeah. Um, so I can see that. And in fact, the, the competition for attention uh, has never been more intense uh, from, from, from what I've seen. Um, so yeah. look, there, there are a number of points. Looking at it from the neuroscience perspective, which is the one I, I look at, there are really more than one kind of attention. There are actually broadly two kinds of attention, if you will, certainly visual attention. Um, if you will, the sort of bottom-up, the sort of sensory-driven type of attention, uh, yeah. you know, if from the, from the neuroscience perspective, the, the so-called ventral attentional network. It's, it's, it's the pathway that information goes to the brain. It's the sort of something comes up, but, oh, what was that? You, you, yeah. you look at that. Yeah. And then there's the other one, which is more top-down. In other words, it's determined yeah. by attention, uh, it's effortful, etc. So, it's called the so-called yeah. dorsal attentional network, etc. Yeah. And, and you have these two systems. Now, what's fascinating is that one of them, the, the, the one that's, that's the bottom up, that's effortless. In other words, something happens, your attention goes there very quickly, it makes no effort, it's easy, it's automatic. The other one, the yeah. top down, you have to work, you have to focus your attention. And what seems to be happening now is that so much of the attention economy is being driven by the bottom up stuff uh, that people are now becoming worried, are we losing a degree of capacity to for the control top down type of of attention processes and because yeah. quite often these bottom up processes quite often are associated with pleasure Ooh, what was that what was that notification yeah. what was this those little dopamine surges couple couple of new likes on my post exactly what was that? exactly Let me check it out. I mean, yeah. basically anything you like can become addictive it's as simple as that uh it's, yeah. it's related to the dopamine system so we've got a situation where the attention economy is hot the demands on our attention are, are, are huge uh, and um, the methodologies to measure it are becoming more and more sophisticated the point is that two things one uh, there are different kinds of attention um, attention to detail in other words the hemispheres play different roles um, left hemisphere much more detailed right hemisphere more the global the global features etc but the other point that I sort of want to touch on is the relationship between attention and memory. Clearly, there is a relationship um, with, with, but it can be a little bit more complicated than simply high attention means high memory. It, it yeah. can under certain circumstances, but if you 
um, if you look at what is the correlation between, for example, an attention measure, and there was a recent uh, recent paper, 2013, um, Stiletto, uh, looking at pupil size as a measure of visual attention and yep. uh, learning. Uh, it was a, basically a memory task and looking at the correlation. And there's a, there's a very significant, there's a significant positive correlate. In other words, high attention is associated with high memory, but the correlation was about, um, about 0 0.4, 0 0.45 or something rather. In other words, what that means is, sure, attention is telling you something about what's going into memory, but there are other things also that are influencing memory memory as well. Yeah. We, we're mainly interested in, in what goes into long-term memory because if you look at essentially attention, it serves two broad purposes. One is attention for the material itself. In other words, something like entertainment. You're not trying to yep. necessarily send a message if it's just pure entertainment or just interest. You just want to maintain people's attention to this content, the, the content they're consuming. But in other cases, the attention is a means to an end. In other words, with Facebook, for example, or some other things, the purpose of the attention is ultimately to expose people to commercial content and advertising as well. So it's yep. that other one that also requires the memory encoding if that advertising is going, is going to be effective. And so we're interested in the, the, the memory encoding aspect in particular. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, we we all know. For instance, like if if um, if you have an emotional, uh, if, if if something triggers an emotion, you know your, your memory, you'll remember it much better. Exactly. Uh, and I think we uh, we know it from the uh, how do you call it um, uh, from science. But uh, my I think last year my daughter fell from her bike uh, on on an icy mm. place, and every time we're now. Driving past that area, she says, "Yeah, this is. Do we have to be careful? Right? It's no longer winter; it can be midsummer. Yeah. But somehow she memorized this place. Exactly. I, I made a big fall, and that, that's that's hurting. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, so. The interesting interesting that to see there is that we have a lot of people that try to get our attention, mm. uh, or at least uh, let's say for ads. But uh, what is a uh, uh, effective, I would say, strategy or an effective way to to get something across into a, 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 a the longer term memory. Yeah, uh, look, that's a very, very big topic. Clearly, um, now the hu humans respond to stories, to narrative, um, yeah. and a narrative where, if you will, the the key message is is actually integrated into the story, into the narrative, we've found is encoded strongly in, into memory. The sort of thing... You, you mean that the, the, product, the, the product that someone is trying to sell yeah. or the brand is trying to sell is, is part of the story that you're telling? It's, it's part of the story, but you don't make a big thing about, I am telling you a story about this product. Um, it's, it's just integrated. And in fact, there is, there is a suggestion that uh, this is particularly the work of Robert Heath on low attention advertising. Um, he wrote a book, uh, Seducing the Subconscious. It's a provocative title. Um, and uh, <laughs> what, what he uh, argues is that in some cases, actually uh, 
giving high attention to something but less emotional impact can actually be less effective in terms of you know commercial effectiveness. Um, there are I recently uh, I think gave a talk on the so-called under the radar effect. In other words, when sometimes just some sort of signage, for example, in sponsorship can be very effective even though you don't ask people to look at it it just it's there and it seems to be effective and the reason for that people have argued is an interesting phenomenon called the mere exposure effect and this yep. is when you are in the environment you see something it could be anything a shape a music it doesn't really matter the more often you see it you're aware of it the more you like it. It's not the same as familiarity. You actually like yeah. it. Now, the fascinating thing is the less attention you pay to it, the stronger the effect. In other words, if someone says, oh, look at that shape up there. Um, but drawing your attention, it actually, it's a, it's a paradoxical effect, but it's one of those interesting ones where in the case of the near exposure effect, it can even be stronger when the the image is presented subliminally so fast that you don't know what it is, and, and yet it can be. So the the relationship between attention and memory is a fascinating one, and it's much more complex. But generally, high attention will lead to high memory. But there are these sort of interesting, scientifically interesting exceptions. And But one of them that's interesting is the, as I said, sponsorship, where you have sort of signage there, you know, big lots of logos everywhere. People wonder, does this stuff really work? Uh, and the evidence seems to be yes, it does. And even though people yeah. are not looking, you know, look at this, look at that, etc. Probably because of that exact reason. And so, uh, what you're saying is, if I if I get it right, is that if I pay attention to it, but it's not really too much or too active, like I'm really, really paying attention, yeah. then it, that sort of uh, I would say drops into my subconscious without being sort of actively filtered. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I register it, uh, whereas if it's really trying to get my attention, yeah. uh, I will be driving it more, but it's also maybe, it will maybe trigger some sort of what I would say, uh, what you nowadays see a lot is, uh, is what is an ad filter. I see the ad, but I know it's an ad, so I'm trying to exactly, ignore it as exactly. good as in, possible. In, in fact, what's fascinating is that this may be a little bit irrelevant, but the, the crucial thing, the thing here is that human beings are social animals. We essentially um, unconsciously adopt many of the cues of those around us. Our behavior is, is powerfully influenced by those we are with. And there are, there are neural systems which we think are responsible for this. The mirror neuron system we think is, is an important part of the system where we're influenced powerfully by it, by our environment. And, but at the same time, there must be another aspect of the brain which gives us autonomy. Otherwise, we would do whatever the environment, so to speak, tells us to do or what, what the other people are doing without any autonomy. Yeah. And this other part is the orbital frontal cortex. It's a region yeah. in the brain above the, just above the eyes. And when that's damaged, uh, you feel compelled to act as, as if the environment was telling you what to do. There was a famous study by a French neuroscientist called Hermite who showed that patients with damage to this particular region on the frontal cortex, <clears throat> the, they could not help themselves, but they would do what the environment suggested. In other words, if this patient was walking in a garden and he saw a watering can with water, 
he would pick it up and start watering, even though no one had asked him to. It's as if he <laughs> felt impelled he had to do it. Or he yeah. copies the, the behaviour of the doctor. Everything the doctor does, he does as well. He's going to do it. Um, uh, so-called imitative behaviour. So this part of the brain essentially gives us our autonomy. It is activated by attention. In other words... Like the executive function that decides we're going to do this or not. It, or we're just exactly, gonna... exactly. And yeah. so, you know, when you get an ad that's obviously this is an ad, and you say, oh, God, this is an ad, that, that is that particular region kicking in and the internal barriers come in. If, on the other hand, it's subtle, it's just part of the story. In a sense, it slips under the radar, so to speak. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, so there is a relationship between giving attention and then storing it in your memory. Oh, yep. But there are also ways to, let's say it's nicely, um, go below the radar exactly. in a subtle way and then make sure that you learn. And, and sponsorship can be, for instance, one of those exactly. Uh, exactly. reasons. That's what yeah. we've found, actually. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, do you see that uh, clients in general uh, are, are interested in these types of subjects or are they still a little bit earlier in the stage that they are wanting to know how their brain responds and, and how that translates? Yeah, look, Conrad, it's interesting. Uh, it's got the field. I've been, as you know, I've been, <laughs> I've been around for a while. So uh, I've seen the various fads. When this whole started, yeah. all you had to do was mention, guess what, we're... We're, using, we're looking at the brain and everybody would get excited. Maybe they won't give yeah. you a contract, but they get excited. Um, yeah. You know, the brain was hot, you know, etc. And quite a few companies were established with uh, not so strong scientific foundations. Let's put it this way. <laughs> so, uh, I, think, yeah. I think you're being too nice, uh, but okay, well, we'll a, go I'm with a that. nice guy. <laughs> um, anyway, um, now what's happened is that that, first stage uh, the shakedown has occurred in other words those those companies the companies that survive have actually something to contribute uh, yep. but the ones that uh, were based on dubious propositions uh, most of them uh, have gone so that's the first stage the clients now those who understand it um, I think are much more interested in you know what is the evidence this will make a difference to my bottom line you know what yeah. Give me the evidence. And so the evidence is is, is crucially important, and, and I'm delighted yeah. that uh, that that's happening. However, when a marketing director says, this is interesting, we ought to do this, it then goes to the insights department. Um, and um, now there you have, uh, you know, people who are very good at their job, but who in some cases are very used to doing things the way they always used to be done. Um, yeah. And uh, I hope I'm not being too unkind here, but, but you know, there is... Human beings, by nature, tend to be conservative, you know? Yeah. If something works, you keep doing it. Why, why change? Yeah. Why fix yeah. it if it's not broken? Um, and I think there's this sort of conservatism. The other thing, it, to be frank, it's, it's safer. Uh, you know, if you come along and you sort of say, I want to try this, this methodology, it's not the standard ad testing methodology, etc. something goes wrong, you're, you, the marketing director, are going yeah. to be the one who suffers the consequences. So it's safer to do what everybody else is doing. You know, we put yeah. this through the standard test. I won't mention 
company names, you know, and it scored so-and-so, six out of ten or whatever, um, orange yeah. light or green light, and it was okay. So, you know, we, we can do it. So um, there's a lot of, there is still conservatism, but, but what I found is that it's hard to generalise, even though I'm generalising, it's hard to generalise completely uh, globally. In other words, um, the situation we find in New York is quite different to, for example, London, and quite different again to uh, to Australia. So I suspect there in, is... In what, in, what, in what sense do you find uh, it different? Dif- is, is New York more... Uh, open to change or new stuff, or or how 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 should one see it, or maybe not? Uh, well, the competition is much fiercer in New York. That that's uh, that's certainly for sure. Um, yeah, but but um, I think it's a matter of at this stage we're still looking to a degree at the early adopters uh, coming in, and so it's there's an element of probability. If you encounter someone who is has a bit of courage, an early adopter, and they like what you're doing, and that that builds up, then uh, you know you you know quite a few in Melbourne, for example, most of our clients are repeat business. For example, um, yeah. in in New York, uh, it's more of a mixture. The the majority are, but we also have new clients. So it it sort of varies from uh, from from market to market. Um, I'd be interested so in to Melbourne, know your, 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 your impression. Oh, well, it's. Uh, uh, I think um, uh, maybe it's a good link to memory because uh, if if you've done things uh, uh, a couple of times well, they sort of remember this and they yeah. say it has an added added value, and then and then you go uh, you go about uh, it. But I think uh, you're you're right in a sense that um, yeah, they can be very uh, sticking to their old uh, habits, uh, which I think is also somewhere in a memory structure. So that, yep. that maybe yep. maybe uh, explains it. But that, that brings me to so, uh, a related uh, uh, a question, and, and to a certain extent, it's 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 part of my own. Uh, uh, it's well, frustration is a big word, but it's amazing, uh, amazement uh, to a certain extent. Is you, we see a lot of uh, data, uh, scientifically backed data uh, about well, it can be the neuroscience, for instance, um, or uh, ad fraud. I think is a very interesting one to see now. And the numbers are huge, and you can't, uh, right? You can't work your way around it. But somehow it seems that our the marketeers have found a way to live in a alternate reality where they keep on spending the same budgets, knowing that part of it will be fraudulent. Uh, don't really care very much uh, uh, about it, um, and and we see it in in the work that we do as well when we have a client that. Uh, it's been with us for a long time, make a mistake after two, three years again that they've made before. Uh, and, and we have to tell them, oh, didn't you try that out like a couple of years back and it didn't work? And I was like, oh, yes, we forgot to look at the data. So what is your take on uh, how difficult it is somehow to, or, or maybe it's a choice to ignore whatever is there in terms of science and data and just to continue working with it? Is it just like a muscle memory that they keep on working like it or is it, what what what's your view well uh i think the muscle memory is actually a good analogy conrad uh there there is certainly that but the other thing you've got to understand is <clears throat> uh established players using the sort of um conventional methodology i won't go to specific but you know what i'm what i'm talking about yeah um, 
these have an enormous uh, investment in the status quo. Uh, And what sometimes happens (laughs) is, for example, one of these large corporations will purchase, for example, uh, uh, a, a new, a company that's offering a new technology. And then after a while, the technology seems to go away. In other words, it's almost purchased to stop it influencing or stop it uh, cannibalizing their ongoing business. Uh, so what th- that's sometimes also what happens. But I don't think it's possible to overestimate how important uh, the momentum that the, that the current players have, the large players, there's a huge advantage um, in... Um, there's a huge barrier to entry for you know the neuromarketing area, particularly in the in the advertising uh, research space, because I said there are sort of such large established players who have essentially a huge incentive and investment to sort of maintain the status quo. At the same yeah. time, um, using the sort of standard methodologies, even if things go wrong, well, you know, I use the standard test and, you know, it said it was okay, even though you know that, <coughs> yeah. that, it, that it may not. I mean, it's human nature. I mean, and nobody the, can blamed, can be blamed for doing business with IBM. That's, well, exa- sort of, that's uh, exactly it. That's, yeah. that's exactly yeah. it. I mean, look, the life yeah. of a yeah. marketing director, particularly in the United States, is not easy. They don't. They don't nope. last very long. The turnover is very no, high. So, <laughs> yeah, so we've noticed. You know, so as we've, soon as you have have found one who understands what's happening, uh, yeah. after a while, they're maybe not there anymore. So. No, I think it's uh, it's uh, we 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 worked for a very large brewery and and they have this tendency to give young people a lot of. Um, uh, responsibility at a young age, which I think is a is a good uh, yeah. good thing, but it also re- makes it that people rotate uh, quite quickly, and, and they've been a good client for us for a number of years. And we recently were presenting stuff and comparing it to old ads and other things, and they were like, "Oh wow, do we have this?" And we're like, "Yeah, we did it for you. <laughs> we did this work for your predecessor." <laughs> yep. Yep. So it's you know it's it's easy to forget, uh, and at the same time. Um, which is maybe also a question is that this is at um, um, for us this is like a, this, the, at the center of the universe right this is what we do what we like we're really into the the background of it how it works how you can use it to improve your ads and, and other things but for most of most of the other people this is not the the uh, the, uh, the the case um, but. Um, if we transition a bit into uh, what what can we learn from all of uh, all of all of this, let's say you are uh, you, you're being set up uh, uh, as the coach of a new young uh, energetic uh, mar- marketing manager, and uh, you, know, you have a couple of uh, talks with her in this case, and you sit down with her, and and, and she asks, okay, what um, uh, Richard uh, would you Give me as a sort of a couple of, of tips and tricks to make sure that you know if I start making uh, 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 you know creative uh, across my my company, uh, what are some of the learnings that uh, that you would uh, you would want to share with me, or maybe some tips and tricks to make sure that I'm not just getting the attention, but I also sort of. Mm. Land, land in the memory, yeah. uh, so yeah. that my sales will go up uh, yeah. next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, I'd first of all explain the reason we are fixated on memory, if you will. You know, we we think it's an important one. Is um, 
for a variety of reasons. If something is not in long-term memory, in a sense, it, it doesn't exist in the future, you know, in terms of behavior, etc. So yeah. that's an obvious one. But that, there's a more... That, that's, it's, it's something that we always say, if I don't see it, I am not going to... Uh, memorize it and if I'm not going to memorize it I'm not going to buy your product or do anything with it right so it's yep. just making sure you get seen is a, is a basic yep. uh, requirement yep. to do anything yes exactly so it's the start of the funnel so to speak but the interesting thing yep. is that there is a link between memory and future behavior um, there was a fascinating study by Danny Schachter oh in the late 90s 97, 98 no actually but in the early 2000s Looking at uh, fMRI imaging of people remembering past autobiographical events, past some of their you know events, their last birthday, or whatever, etc., and you see a particular yep. pattern of activity: hippocampus, uh, left front, front, right frontal cortex, etc., etc. Yeah. He then asks them, "I want you to imagine what you'll be doing five years in the future." Okay, start imagining. What's fascinating is the enormous overlap between the network that was active when people were remembering their past and the network that is active when they are projecting themselves into the future. And, yeah. and what Schachter argues from an evolutionary point of view, the purpose of memory is not just to store stuff, you know, so you can play trivial pursuits or something. The purpose of memory is to guide your behavior into the future for your survival, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. so, the, so the, the link between memory encoding and potential influence on future behavior is a powerful one. So that's why we, we sort of focus on that. So it's, they basically shape the glasses that you put on to look at the, the, the you know, to guide your future Exactly. Uh, directions. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah. there's this there's this powerful link. So, so okay, we're talking to this new. Yeah, we're talking. Let's go back to her before to we a, dive into science. A, 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 a marketing <laughs> director. And basically, what I'd say, yeah. okay, when you're looking at creative content, etc., there are there are a number of things I'd first of all recommend. Okay, let's have a look at the trace which tells us what is going into memory, particularly left hemisphere memory. And let's have a look at those peaks because the, the graphs goes up and down, etc. Those peaks are very important. Those peaks are, if you will, the key images. These are the hooks your brain uses to store that entire memory sequence. And every time I ask you to remember it, you are, in a sense, recreating that memory. Um, yeah. It's not just bringing out the tape. You are actually recreating it. And those peaks, those hooks are what you use as the key to recreate. So we, we call those peaks the iconic triggers. And and those peaks then, if you've got an ad campaign, for example, that you've got a digital component, you've got an out-of-home component, the iconic trigger is the one that we would recommend to integrate all those consumer brand touch points. You know, and we found that it's a, it's a very powerful mechanism. Yeah. The other point I so you have one one clear simple hook yes, exactly. that you can recognize across all the different channels. Exactly, that exactly, and you okay. and that's best identified using the you can people try to guess. Oh, it'll be that scene. Oh, it'll be this scene. But if you can actually measure what's going into memory, that tells you which one yeah. it actually is. And as I said, yeah. it, it's it's highly effective. The other thing that I'd, I'd sort of uh, touch on is little 
executional things can make a huge effect to the effectiveness of, of the ad. Huge. And what I'd then sort of mention is the way the brain stores experience is not continuous. It stores it in chunks. Every event yeah. is stored as a separate little segment. And when the brain decides that's the end of one part of the story, before I get on to the next part of the story, I'm going to stop encoding new stuff while I pack a package away the old information. In other words, I store it properly. And there's a gap, a drop in long-term memory that occurs at what are called these event boundaries. In other words, the end of one story and the beginning of another one. And yeah. what tends to happen so often with advertising is you have a story, you have a narrative, for example, with, in the case of television yeah. advertising, and then you have a resolution. This is the end, This is, and then you have the brand. Now, what we find happens is that there's a huge conceptual closure, a huge drop in memory as the brain is packaging the previous narrative. It's as if the eyes are closed. The eyes are open, but the, the yeah. eyes of memory are closed when the branding yeah. comes up. And, and we've, we've, we've seen cases where ads have a very high memory encoding for the narrative, the story. But yeah, you, you're still processing uh, uh, everything that is going on, and then this processing of what's going, what just has happened, um, makes it so that you can't actually process the logo or, exactly, the, or exactly. maybe it's the claim or the price. Exactly, yeah. and, and it, yeah. it can be. And uh, we have a little uh, a little grid. We say let's let's look at what's happening into what's going into memory for your ad. And let's look at two parts. Let us break apart the the narrative, the story in your ad, and the branding. Let's just look at that. If yeah. the memory encoding is high for both of them, that's terrific. That's great. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 story is linked to the brand, etc. You've given the brand new aspects. If yeah. the uh, if the brand encoding is high but the story is low well all you've done is simply increase the memory strength of the brand by familiarity you haven't really added anything yeah. it's just high if they're both low well it's a disaster you know you've wasted your yeah. money but the worst one <laughs> the worst one is if the narrative the story is high is but high. the brand is low because yeah. what happens then is the benefits of the story go to one of your competitors Um, yeah. And we've seen this where we had one bank that we, that's one of our clients. They said, it's really funny when this other, other bank advertises, we get a pickup in our business. And, yeah. and uh, we, we looked at what they did and, and it turned out two things. First of all, uh, the story was very high for this other bank that, that didn't get the benefit. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. used some of the uh, um, features which were very similar and some of the words similar to the, the first bank I was telling you about who say we, we get the benefit. But the important part is that when the logo came, when the brand came, there was a drop. In other words, the whole benefit, you are making an advertisement for your competitor um, yes. with that particular combination. So yeah. uh, those are some of the things that we've discovered Subtle things, you know, even little things can yeah. indicate things like conceptual yeah. closure. Someone, someone looking away, for example, on the screen can cause a, yeah. a drop. So um, those are some of the things, yeah. Conrad.
Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I have the exact same uh, experience, but then in tel- telecommunications land, uh, I worked as a CMO for a large telco before I started uh, as as an entrepreneur. And we had sometimes uh, peaks in sales, peaks in visits in store, in visits online. And it was when one of our competitor, uh, competitors was uh, actually uh, uh, advertising. Mm. And when, when uh, uh, years after, I realized that uh, the, they were copycatting us a little bit with our look and feel of, the, of, a, of, of a family type of approach. Uh, and um, later on, I realized that many people... Uh, and I tested it also afterwards. Many people thought it was actually for the brand I was seeing off. Mm. That that was the ad was for them. Yep. Uh, which it wasn't. So uh, it was a good ad, but it worked for the competitor, which is, uh, to your point, it, it gets it uh, across exactly. as, uh, yep. as well. Yep. So getting back and, and slowly uh, rounding off, um, we're talking to her. So we, we, we basically have said, okay, make sure you have your iconic yep. triggers. Yep. You find them across all of the different... Uh, at touch points, uh, make sure that uh, you know little things can have a big uh, can have a big impact. Uh, we have two axes: one is around branding, and, yeah. and one is around story. And we have to be careful that we we find the the right uh, the, uh, the right spot. Any other f- last words of, of advice to her? Uh, be courageous, <laughs> um, and. Uh, have some confidence in, in the science as well. Uh, that yeah. that uh, look, as I said, for a for a CMO, that's that's very easy. That's me talking as an academic, not um, <laughs> as a, as a marketing person. Um, look, as I said, from from my point of view, the thing that's excited me the most is that that some of the research we've done for advertising has actually thrown up interesting neuroscience things. I mean, conceptual closure is Such one as, that, that, so yeah, the conceptual, the ones you just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at least we're, we're doing our best, right? But you and I and our companies are pushing uh, uh, a science-based view on uh, the activities um, in there. Um, yeah. I think as a marketeer, you... Uh, you would do well to listen to us, but yeah, that's. I'm pretty sure we're quite uh, self. Uh, <laughs> we are. Uh, what's the? I'm looking for the right words, but uh, we're biased. Yeah, I think that's the, best, uh, that's the best. That's uh, the best. But uh, I think the data will prove us. Uh, will prove us right. Um, I want to thank you uh, for participating in, uh, in in the podcast and talking about. Uh, the subjects I wrote a couple of scientists uh, down at uh, whose work I'm going to to dive into. Um, yeah, I think it's good to hear that uh, there is a strong relationship between uh, attention and, and and memory, and yeah, that people can can be aware of this and measure it, uh, and and yeah, look at at ways where they can put some iconic triggers in, make sure that the little things sort of fit and that these two elements and branding and, and the story are um, are in there. And I think you have a very interesting uh, history into getting where you uh, where you are. Uh, and I enjoyed talking to you. So I want to thank you a lot for, uh, for being here, Richard. Conrad, thank you for the invitation. Um, I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Thanks for paying attention today. I hope you will join us again for a new episode of the Attention Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Expos.io 
the Attention Prediction Platform. <laughs>